I'm Kate Wheeler here with Christine Bentley, and you are listening to What She Said right here on 105.9 The Region. Thanks for tuning in. Now, the government of Canada has just announced it's providing just over $2 million over a three-year period for Aspire. What's that, you ask? Well, it's a work-integrated learning pilot project that aims to attract, upskill, and retain post-secondary students developing in-demand skills in the field of STEAM. STEAM? That's not STEM? No, science, technology, engineering, arts... And mathematics. Arts is being included. Well, ah. Sasha, Sasha D'Souza will be here to tell us more about that. Well, speaking of STEAM, teachers can now go back to school to learn how to incorporate coding into their classrooms. Thanks to Kids Code Jeunesse and Lighthouse Labs, which has just launched Code Create Teach. So this is a national workshop series with upcoming dates around Canada, and we'll, we're going to be joined by Jennifer Basso and Kate Arthur later on in the show. But Kate, you have jumped the gun and actually done your first little code. I did. Um, there's there's a new Google app called Gras- Grasshopper. I feel like I'm in a you know 1970s yes. learning how to uh, do martial arts thing. But um, Grasshopper, it's said beginning coding for coding for beginners, and I went on, and it's a lot of fun. If you like doing um, Sudokos, cryptic crosswords, that kind of thing. Learning JavaScript is—it's like learning a language. I was scared; it's all math-based, and I'm pretty sure math will come into it at some point. But this has been good. I've managed to create uh, flags, change colors of flags, draw boxes, make the flag animate. It's—it's—it's yeah. it's, it's good. It's just like a little quiz. A little—it's five, six minutes every day. They do a lesson every day, and it takes you through it, and it's free. So Grasshopper, go try it. It's fun. You should try it. Yeah, okay, well, um, (laughs) that may be fun, but something that uh, might be awkward is talking to your family about weed or pot or cannabis. Mm. So we're going to get some tips on how to do that right with Michelle Bilodeau, an ambassador for Leafly.ca, the world's largest cannabis information and news resource. And we're also welcoming registered holistic nutritionist Christina Vero to what Mm -hmm. she said. And she is going to help us navigate the overlap between nutrition and mental health, starting with emotional eating, not cannabis eating, Kate, emotional eating. Okay. And what we can do about that, because I think most people, if you ask them, um, will would admit most of my girlfriends have admitted to me that they there is su- there is emotional eating or not eating going mm-hmm. on. There's an emotional connection. Absolutely. Musicologist Eric Alper has five of the best debut singles of all time, and on the record, and performing in our live studio sessions, we have Winnipeg singer songwriter Rain Hamilton in town. So make sure you go to whatshesaidtalk.com, click on our contest page, because, mm-hmm. boy, we have, a, we have a bunch of really good we ones. We do. We're giving away fabulous jewelry from Dimples Charms to benefit Forest, Forest Ontario, Ontario, which is who, who are planting trees because of the ash borer for... Right, in right? Oxford. Mm-hmm. Yeah. $150 in Big Leaves shoes and clothing. That's a gift card. And one family meal delivery from Rose's Family Meals, as well as a signed Rose Reisman's Rush Hour Meals cookbook. So don't touch that dial. It's all about to happen. 
Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. To contact the show, go to whatshesaidtalk.com. Escape instantly with Kobo. Discover nearly 6 million ebooks and audiobooks on Kobo.com. Download the free Kobo app and start reading today. It's a world of stories in the palm of your hand. What she said. She's powerful, wonderful, honest and lovable. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. Joining us now is Michelle Billodeau, an ambassador for Leafly.ca, the world's largest online cannabis education resource. And today we are going to talk about how to talk to your family about cannabis. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you for having me. Why don't you start out by telling us uh, your role as a Leafly ambassador? Yeah, so Leafly approached me to work with them about a year ago. I'm a fashion and beauty and lifestyle journalist, and I also happen to be pro-cannabis, obviously. Um, The reason I wanted to partner with them is they are all about education, which I think is really important as we inch closer to legalization, not just for teens and families like we're talking about today, but I think for anyone who is interested to know more about what cannabis can do for them in any given situation. Why uh, is it so? Im- why is it important to them and to you mm. that the conversation with one's family be approached properly? Um, I think because cannabis has been seen as a drug for so long. And now we're starting to unlock the powers that cannabis can have, whether it's medicinally, whether it's recreationally. I think education is important because this is kind of new territory. We're gonna we're the only or the, we're the biggest G eight country, G seven country that's going to be legally um, recreationally legal across the world, um, and it's it's going to be a big societal shift. And I think knowing what is coming or preparing ourselves for what is coming is very important. Okay, so a lot of people, I can hear alarm bells going off Off in their heads right now. So what what are the key things that you want people to understand about this legislation when it happens? Well, the legislation is something that is kind of ongoing. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a bit of a moving target Mm -hmm. as to when it's even going to be legal. So I think just informing ourselves via the media, via Leafly, um, is a way to kind of stay up on what's happening. What I think is important, especially when kids or teenagers um, are involved, is this is new for them as well. Um, And we want them to be prepared. So scientists have come out recently um, in the last couple of years and have actually said that our brains don't stop developing until our early 20s. And there have been studies that have been done that show that kids who consume a lot of amount, like a lot of cannabis, can it can have some detrimental side effects. It can affect their mental health. It could potentially affect their IQ. Um, so we want them to know, or I want them to know as a, as a mother of a young daughter, I want kids to know that your brain is precious and to really to take care of yourself. And I want to help other mothers figure out how to have that conversation with their kids. Okay, so but then why is the conversation now, or let's assume we're in a legal environment, mm-hmm. any different than it would have been then? I would think it's, in actual fact, it's probably going to be a safer conversation because uh, assuming that kids under 19 cannot get access to these, uh, to the various strains of cannabis. But we now have CBD and THC, some cannabis, no hallucinatory, no, you know, high effects. No psychoactive. No psych, that's the word I was looking for. (laughs) No psychoactive ingredients. So that there are strains that can be specifically used 
for health and wellness. Yeah. I think it's very important to tell your kids if you are using medicinally. The reason I think it's important to have these conversations with kids is because it is going to be more readily available than it was ever is before. It? Really? I would think yes, it would be it more is. locked down because they can't go in. It's like going into an LCBO and buying it. The black market will still exist. And then you'll have people, you'll have people my age, will have people older that are using cannabis recreationally. So it will be in probably in more homes than it ever was before. Anyone who's curious or has been curious about cannabis will now have a legal way of obtaining it. So it will be in more households, I believe, and I think a lot mm-hmm. of people think, than it has been before. And, the, and unfortunately, the black market will still exist as well. So uh, besides uh, focusing the conversation with, with towards children and young yeah. adults, mm-hmm. it, it, I would imagine one would also have to have a conversation with one's parents because mm. they have grown up in a society where that was like, that was the, the step before heroin. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I mean... Well, there have been, again, there have been um, more studies that have come out, and this is kind of information that I've gleaned since becoming an ambassador with Leafly last summer. Um, Cannabis is not a gateway drug. It was thought to be before, Mm -hmm. but cannabis is actually now being used as a way to help heroin addicts or severe drug addicts come down from their addictions. So cannabis is not seen that way in the medical community anymore, and it's about changing that stigma. Exactly. Yeah. So... Can you give us some go-to facts when you're talking to teens? Give us some good points we can throw out there. Yeah, of course. So I interviewed two child psychologists recently and a family physician for CBC. I'm a writer for cbc.ca, their lifestyle section. Um, And I'm kind of doing really early preparatory work. So I have a daughter who's a year and a half, and I'm maybe a little... A little young. (laughs) A little young, but to be honest, I'm I'm anxious about how I'm going to talk to her about it. So there are members of our family who use medicinally, and I want to know who or how I should approach it with her when she's a teenager. I think most of what I learned may be obsolete by the time she's old enough to know. Um, But I think it does start with having an open dialogue with your kids. Um, You always have to keep in mind their emotional maturity and their actual age. I think when you're speaking to, or what the doctors have told me, when you're speaking to a 13-year-old versus an 18-year-old, their emotional maturity is quite different. So you have to keep that in mind when you're speaking with with Mm -hmm. kids about it. Um, But I do think there are easy entry points. Legalization itself, I think, is one of them. You can sit down with your kid and say, hey, we're close to legalization. What do you think about this? What do your friends think about this? Mm-hmm. Um, and that might help open up a conversation as to whether or not, you know, your kid has been exposed to cannabis or has friends that have smoked cannabis um, at school or at other events. So I think there's lots of ways to, to kind of have that entry point, And I think legalization can be one of them. So do we know, um, st- do we know for sure what strains or what, what, kinds of cannabis can mm-hmm. affect a young person's brain because I think it's 25 up until 25. Yeah, the brain develops concerned. until about 25. Yes. Um, I think and what any, parts? Yeah, so this is where a resource like Leafly would come into play is mm-hmm. you can research different strains and it's basically a strain that has high THC. So THC is the psychoactive property mm-hmm. of cannabis. That will affect that the development affect of your brain. Yeah, so exactly. there are can- strains of cannabis that are okay. Um, I don't know if I would say that. 
a lot of cannabis, like most strains of cannabis have THC. There are strains of cannabis that have a higher level of CBD per se. But if you're looking into something that's going to help you with anxiety and pain relief, that would more be a THC oil um, or edible as opposed to something that has THC in it. So how can parents filter out the pop culture noise yeah. as it relates to teens and cannabis, do you think? Unfortunately, I don't think they can. I think mm. it's going to be really hard. It's already popping up um, on, a lot on Instagram, on social media, on television. Um, but I think it just comes back to having an open dialogue with your kid. If you mm -hmm. see something, you know, that kind of tweaks your anxiety a little bit, mm -hmm. maybe that it could be another entry point into how to talk to your kids about it. Mm -hmm. Um I think for younger kids, it might be a little bit of monitoring their social media just to know kind of where they're at. But when it comes to older kids, you want to give them a bit more privacy. You want them to feel like they're independent. Um, again, it just kind of comes back to, and from what the doctors have told me, it just comes back to keeping their emotional maturity in mind. So then what are the best resources for parents yeah. like looking to learn more? Where would you suggest they go? I think leafly.ca is a great resource. Health mm -hmm. Canada also has some guidelines. Um, and then there's a website called Drug Free Kids that offers a packet online on how to talk to your teens about cannabis. So many women have come out um, recently and said mm -hmm. that they do smoke, that they still consider themselves well, the cannabis users. They may not mm -hmm. smoke it, but they still consider themselves to be great moms, great parents. Yeah. You're in that in that category, but so many people don't Very believe it's so. possible. It is possible. There's, I think with legalization, you'll find there are a lot of people that smoke, a lot of people that maybe you didn't think mm -hmm. do partake. They're creatives, they're intellectuals, they're business people. They're, they're really all around. There's a lot of people. Do you really think the stigma will ever disappear? If you look at prohibition in terms of alcohol, it definitely has. I, I have no problem cracking a beer in front of my one and a half year old, but I'm not about to smoke a joint in front of her. So I think prohibition and once yeah. we're into legalization for a couple of years, I definitely think the stigma will wane. The other conversation too is about driving and, and yes. uh, mm -hmm. for, yeah. for young people, right? Well, the other thing we have to keep in mind is just because it's recreationally legal for adults, it's not legal for teens to consume cannabis. So cannabis is, you know, it's eight, 18 or 19 above, mm -hmm. depending on the province that you're in. In Ontario, right. it'll be 19. Yeah, so but we aren't, none of us are allowed to drive yeah. under the under the influence, so we have <laughs> no. to remember that, too. Very much so, yeah. Yes. All right, Michelle Billardo, thank you so much for joining us today. And the thank website, you. once again, is leafly, L-E-A-F-L-Y dot C-A. C -A. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Escape instantly with Kobo. Discover nearly 6 million ebooks and audiobooks on Kobo.com. Download the free Kobo app and start reading today. It's a world of stories in the palm of your hand. Still being picked on for being picky? Perfect. Meridian's Good to Grow High Interest Savings Account was made for you. At Meridian, we say be picky. Order that half-calf, half-sweet, no-foam latte with whip. Try on your whole closet until your outfit is outstanding. And accept nothing less than 3% interest for four months when you open your first good-to-grow high-interest savings account. Meridian, expecting more for your money. That's wealth esteem.
Terms and conditions apply. Passion is everything when it comes to hair, so trust your hair to an artist. Jason Kearns of Kearns & Co. is known across North America for making the hottest high fashion looks work for real people. Jason and his team of expert stylists bring together creativity, vision, and the very latest hair care systems, color, and products to create looks that have heads turning. Your hair is the most important fashion accessory you will ever own. Trust it to the experts. Start today. Visit kernsandco.com. This is 105.9 The Region. What she said. She's powerful, wonderful, honest and lovable. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. Kids Code Jeunesse is embarking on a national campaign to inspire and encourage teachers to incorporate code into their classrooms. Now, how cool is this? From April to December 2018, they're hosting free full-day workshops for kindergarten to grade 12 educators in every province and territory across Canada, providing coding and digital skills training. Joining us now in studio to tell us more is Jennifer Basso, Kids Code Juness Eastern Regional Manager. And on the phone, we have Kids Code Juness founder and director, Kate Arthur. Welcome both to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Now, Kate, why don't you start by telling us why Kids Code Juness and Lighthouse Labs wanted to launch Code Create Tech? Did, did you see a real need for it? Yeah, well, we were, um, we've been teaching children and uh, working with teachers in classrooms for about five years now. And one of the biggest areas where um, the, uh, the gap between kids learning to code uh, in their education comes from the teachers not knowing how to integrate it into the curriculum. Um, and two and a half years ago, we were mandated uh, in partnership with Lighthouse Labs to train teachers across British Columbia. So we worked on the curriculum um, to help uh, integrate coding into uh, the high school uh, curriculum that uh, Ministry of Education in British Columbia was rolling out. And we did that for two years. Um, and teachers across the province uh, received four days of training over two years. And we really saw the uh, impact it was making back into the classrooms. So when the CAN code was announced, which is the Ministry of Ed, uh, Ministry of uh, Innovation's um, CAN code project uh, for 50 million, we had a big focus on uh, Code Create Teach, which uh, we did in partnership with Lighthouse Labs in the submission, and we received uh, substantial funding. So a lot of that funding now is going towards uh, taking all of that expertise that we've built over the last five years and offering that to teachers across uh, the country. Now, now, uh, Jennifer, um, I've seen uh, kindergarten children, the teachers are, they're doing games. They're sort of walking around in lines of like six to three to zero, like taking things down. And that's the beginning of code, that you can really start that young. Absolutely. So um, one of the programs that we use uh, as far as our introduction to coding is Scratch. And Scratch is this brilliant visual online program uh, that I believe was developed by... um, a Montreal uh, tech company, but it, technically, Kate, correct me if I'm wrong, it's it's Scratch MIT. Um, Scratch yeah. is, is, is a brilliant online visual program that kids can interact with. They essentially can teach characters to code. They can animate them. They can share um, their creations via the online community. So integrating that visual um, 
I guess, creative component to code mm-hmm. um, is probably one of the um, one of I guess the the main uh, benefits to teaching kids uh, of that age group. Let, let, let me just ask you, for all the people who are maybe in my generation sitting home saying, why is it so important for kids to learn to code? I'll ask both of you. I'll start with you, Jennifer. Sure. I think that um, as we look to the future, obviously we want to prepare um, the youth and the children today for successes in whatever discipline that they they choose to to go into. And I think um, research has shown that code um, directly, indirectly, really does um, focus on everything from, at the end of the day, critical thinking. And and what does that translate into? It means... um, critical thinking um, in terms of when we get up in the morning, um, we, we map out our day. We know what our drive to work is, is like. So that's like a very, very simple example of what computational learning or thinking mm-hmm. is. So at the end of the day, we feel like um, allowing children and youth the opportunity to be exposed to these types of um, computational opportunities and, and, and really um, code itself is uh, is really preparing them for for future successes? If that's well, Kate, I, I think Jennifer answered that uh, very yeah. well. But I, what I yeah. did, so the first goal is learning to code. The second is coding to learn. What's the difference, yeah. Kate? Well, the, what that that that's taking is that learning to code is. Um, if I were to use a, an analogy and say, you know, if we were learning to write. Um, Writing is not just a series of letters on a page. There's actually a thinking process behind that. So we're structuring sentences, well, actually structuring words, then structuring sentences, then putting them into paragraphs, and then you're actually able to create something that becomes a form, uh, a tool of communication. It's a creation of some sort. So if I use it to the, that uh, and compare that to learning to code, well, learning to code helps us learn to be better thinkers. It helps us to, uh, as Jennifer said, um, take critical thinking, uh, problem-solving skills, uh, creative uh, um, creative challenges, um, and to use code to be able to create and communicate what we what what we as as you know individuals want to express. So, what can educators expect at these workshops? What's it going to look like? Kate, Jennifer, either one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So the, the, the day um, starts off with unplugged uh, computational thinking activities. So this is a nice breaker. It allows teachers to, to come together to show that, uh, you know, com- learning computational thinking is not about sitting in front of a computer. It's not about, you know, a child just sitting there solo, uh, staring at a screen. Computational thinking is very collaborative. It's, um, it's uh, um, a, a no technology is required. It's really the bodies and, and real teamwork is required. So we start the day off of that. And that allows a teacher and helps a teacher see the uh, importance of uh, this activity uh, of computational thinking, but also how can this fit into my curriculum as a teacher? So, you know, without, again, the technology. And then so that we start with, we do a few unplugged activities throughout the day. Um, and then we move to Scratch, as Jennifer was saying, so the platform that's a visual block programming, which is very, very powerful um, and can be integrated in a number of different ages. At McGill University, they um, I don't know if they still do, but they were using this in their first year of computer science with, to introduce this to the students. So, uh, And we introduce it to children uh, as a five years old. So it's very, you know, wide spectrum of uh, learning. 
Um, then we do some uh, physical computing, which is hands-on um, coding with a, with a micro bits. And that has very strong results uh, in children's learning um, when they are physic- using their hands and building and creating with code um, it's very strong. So we do that with the teachers. And then they get to go into some text-based programming, which is uh, languages like JavaScript, uh, C++, you know, you'd hear about. So we, we focus on JavaScript to help them see how you transition from what we did in the morning, which is computational thinking, and all the way to the end of the day where they're actually text-based programming. So what's the reaction been? I mean, if I was a teacher, I think this was, was fabulous, but we all know that they have a lot to do. So you know, get yeah. the word out. Well, um, well we... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Kate. Go, uh, just quickly, uh, just uh, um, we uh, we did a workshop uh, last week in in Ottawa, which is the launch of Code Create Teach, and uh, the results from that had ninety percent of the teachers strongly agreeing that they would integrate uh, coding into their classroom, which is an amazing um, uh, number. So, Jennifer, there are workshops coming up in Edmonton, Saskatoon, Quebec City, Calgary. More dates to follow. Absolutely. So on that note, I wanted to mention that um, just putting a call out um, from a regional perspective, mm-hmm. if anyone is interested in, um, in hosting their own workshop in York Region or, or anywhere within the GTA, um, we, we definitely encourage them to reach out to us because essentially we'll, you know, we have the capacity to, um, to, to set uh, a workshop up um, if, there's, if there's desire and there's need. But yes, absolutely. Uh, from now until uh, November uh, 2018, we'll be doing a cross-country um, roadshow, essentially. And, uh, and our goal at the end of it is really to train 2,000 educators. So where would people reach out? Uh, they can reach uh, out to kidscodegeness.org. They can reach out to to me personally, um, and I can provide my my uh, my information after the program today. You know, you are a dream come true for our science minister, Kirsty Duncan, who who just lives and breathes code. Right? Both of you <laughs> ladies know that. Yes, yeah, and she's a she's a wonderful supporter. She's come to uh, to be with us, and um, we've had the opportunity to discuss what we do and how we do it with her. And she's just such an enthusiastic ambassador for for children and for science uh, across the country. And just uh, just before you go, for old oldies like us, are we still able to learn this code? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Okay. Are you sure? <laughs> we, can, we can potentially have someone physically come um, to the radio station and and provide you with a scratch intro. You're on. You're on. <laughs> it won't be me. Yeah, love this, is, this is fabulous. Um, it, it is, it's a fabulous program. Um, I hope all the teachers out there do take advantage of this because this is the future. The website is codecreateteach.ca. Thank you, uh, Jennifer and Kate, for telling us all about uh, Kids Code Jeunesse and this, this workshop. It's fabulous. Thanks, Thanks so much. Us. What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Escape instantly with Kobo. Discover nearly 6 million ebooks and audiobooks on Kobo.com. Download the free Kobo app and start reading today. It's a world of stories in the palm of your hand. 
the day to try something new. Second City Training Center is home to North America's largest school of improv. Whether you're looking to build confidence through a public speaking class, test out some new material at the stand-up drop-in series, or just want to stop by and see what's up with improv, they'd love to have you. Visit them online today at secondcity.com slash TC or call 416-340-7270. Still being picked on for being picky? Perfect. Meridian's good-to-grow high-interest savings account was made for you. At Meridian, we say be picky. Order that half-calf, half-sweet, no-foam latte with whip. (sighs) Try on your whole closet until your outfit is outstanding. And accept nothing less than 3% interest for four months when you open your first good-to-grow high-interest savings account. Meridian, expecting more for your money. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. This is 105.9 The Region. Time now for On the Record, and musicologist Eric Alper is here, and today we're talking about five of the best debut singles of all time. That's you right. never know, because by the time you're done this, there could be another. There could be another, <laughs> and by the time they am done this, somebody's first single might be actually their only single, so it could <laughs> yeah, be just a one-hit wonder for good. But ten years ago today, I Kissed a Girl by Katy Perry was released, going on to becoming one of the most listened to and watched and streamed and bought singles of all time with over 6 million copies sold in the U.S. alone. And that, of course, was Phil Collins in the air tonight, which I'm kind of cheating on this list because, yes, I know he was in Genesis and I know that he's not a new guy, but in the air tonight was his debut solo single and it's still one of the greatest tracks of all time. In fact, all you have to do is just play that drum beat and that roll about halfway through the song just to know what that song was. It was a huge blockbuster song and and really set him on a solo tour de force that not only helped him sell millions of copies around the world, but it also kind of slipped into the Genesis side, making them one of the mm-hmm. world's biggest bands as well. And it came out in 1981 and is still Absolutely. Unbelievable. I still remember buying the album from Music World at Yorkdale when I was 11, going, who is this guy on the cover? Now we know how old Eric is. <laughs> <laughs> Jackson 5, they must have had more than, like, one huge debut single. They must have. They did, but talk about a career starting off with a huge hit. I Want You Back is not only one of the best debut singles of all time. It's really one of the best songs of all time, period. Everything about this song is pure pop perfection, from the chords to the iconic bass line to the vocals done by the man and the boy who would be king of pop. And that, of course, is Michael Jackson. Just simply one of those feel-good songs that just never gets old. But I Want You Back has to be in the list of the best debut singles of all time. Another 
I'm embarrassed. Kate Bush, Wuthering Heights. I never heard it. You're, you're kidding. I used to walk around singing this Heathcliff, it's me, it's Kathy. <laughs> I've come home. Oh, no, I've read the I'm book so a cold. I, That's the lyrics from the song. Let me You know what? I'm not surprised that you did that, and I'm not surprised that you don't. Which <laughs> is so, I, I, for some reason, but yeah, at 18 years old, she was discovered by Pink Floyd David Gilmour, mm-hmm. who brought her demo tape to EMI, the record label, who loved it. And in fact, David Gilmour went on to produce her debut album. In fact, Wuthering Heights became the first number one song and album that was recorded and co-produced and written by a female artist in UK history. All those years, mm-hmm. they never had somebody like that before. And it led Kate Bush on to a career that is still kind of going, still active, but what a strange single because it's based on the book of, of from Emily that they actually used to use like the lyrics as like the actual words from the book. It's mm-hmm. like crazy. It's so good too. It's a great song. Also incredibly young and incredibly talented, Lord. Lord, you know, Lord gets a lot of knocks on social media, but I happen to think that she's probably one of the the great kind of heroes of the of the music industry. You know, and you got to think back to 2003 when this album came out. You had blurred lines. You had Miley Cyrus sticking out her tongue. You had all of these. I'm not going to say vulgar pops. Areas, but you had a lot of sexuality in the music, and then here Lord comes along with the song of called Royals, which is really about, I would probably say, a cooler than you woman or girl, teenage girl, looking at all those people wondering why they're so popular in the first place. In fact, mm-hmm. with the lyrics going, uh, but every goal, every song's like gold teeth, gray goose, tripping, tripping in the bathroom. bathroom. It's really symbolic about what teenagers were going through at that time, and making she was fun what, of the cool kids. 17? 17, 17 years old, yeah. R.E.M. R.E.M., one of my all-time favorite bands, and there's really been no better example of a true power of a great debut single. When this song came out, they were on a very, very, very small independent label at the time, but when the song was released, it got fire on campus radio in the U.S. Then came the record deal, then came a record deal of a massive company like Warner Brothers who brought them into one of the biggest albums and the biggest careers of all time and really growing R.E.M. into an arena rocker act. So from a very small independent label with not a lot of clout to major league status, this is exactly what a great debut single could be in Radio Free Europe. It still holds up to this day and uh, one of my all-time favorite bands and I love them dearly so I have to include them is on this list as well. Thanks so much, Eric. Thank you so much for having me. And we'll talk to you again next weekend. Connect with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler at whatshesaidtalk.com.
We've all been there. Emotional eating or stress eating is using food to make yourself feel better. Eating to satisfy emotional needs rather than to satisfy physical hunger. Joining us now is registered holistic nutritionist and our brand new nutrition expert, Christina Vero, who's here today to tell us what we can do about it. Welcome to What She Said. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um... You're also a soon-to-be registered psychotherapist and have worked with hundreds of individuals, with couples and families of all ages to inspire hope, catalyze change, and improve overall well-being. So what usually is the trigger for emotional eating? Yeah, there are a lot of triggers for emotional eating, but I find that mostly it's like you said, when a really difficult emotion comes up for people that just kind of makes them uncomfortable. So whether that's anger, whether that's sadness, whatever it might be, those are typically the times when people think, okay, I really don't like this. I'm going to turn to food to make myself feel better. What about stress? Stress hugely, yeah. And especially because stress, I find, can manifest itself in so many ways for people. And especially the type of stress that we don't really pay attention to and we kind of try to shove under the rug for so long. And then it kind of reaches a point where we lose track of what's actually happening inside ourselves. And then that's really what can trigger emotional eating, too. Would it be... I like to, I have a terrible habit of, I love reading my my Kobo books, but I also eat when Mm -hmm. I'm reading and that Mm -hmm. tends to be at night and then I'm not moving afterwards. But that, that's not really emotional eating. It's sort of more just laziness, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would probably say that that reminds me more so of eating that's just done out of habit or kind of on autopilot. The big thing about emotional eating is that it's to soothe a difficult emotion that comes up. So that's the big difference there. But if it's soothing it, then Mm -hmm. why... Why is emotional eating problematic? Right. Well, I think that emotional eating really, really catalyzes yo-yo dieting a lot of the time because what will happen is people will say, well, you know, I really want to feel better. I'm feeling so crappy. Let me just have some popcorn or whatever it might be because that'll make me feel better. It very rarely does make Mm -hmm. people feel better. If anything, it actually makes people feel really ashamed, really guilty. And those are really powerful feelings. So then, you know, the next morning comes around and they think, well, I was so bad last night. I'm going to be better today. I'm going to just have lettuce with no salad dressing and you know oh, all fun. This stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and then the same thing keeps happening and so it really can cause yo-yo dieting and weight fluctuations and just overall lower lower our self-esteem what about people who during stress or emotional you know bad times mm-hmm. don't eat because they're it's that relationship between emotions and Absolutely. food it's either not enough or too much. Absolutely. That's such a good point. And what I typically recommend is for people to keep a food journal, but that has a column for the emotions that they're experiencing when they're eating or when they're turning away from food, because there's a real relationship that we have. It's not just about fueling our bodies. There are messages that we attach to food that have sometimes started from when we were younger Mm -hmm. and we keep on living out. And when those aren't in our awareness, Mm -hmm. then that can lead to that autopilot feeling. So I'll have people say, okay, what emotions are coming up? And then we'll start to notice themes. So for example, if somebody's a huge perfectionist and they give 100% at work every single day, they might say, oh, well, food is my time to relax, like to turn that off. And I can just completely not be perfect for a little bit. Yeah, I'm but, not eating the main course. I'm eating the chocolate right, fudge cake. All right. Of it. <laughs> exactly. But, but that relationship needs some attention because we don't want to rely on food to 
take charge of our lives. Okay, so then what can we do about it? Yeah, so the first thing that I like to tell people is to bring it into your awareness, to kind of slow things down. So there's an acronym that I like to use that's actually used for people with substance abuse problems, so whether that's with drugs or alcohol, and it's called HALT, and it stands for Hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. So whenever you have that urge to eat emotionally, you can kind of walk yourself through that. Am I feeling any of these things? And I would actually add thirsty and boredom to that as well, because I think those are big contributors too. So having some awareness is really helpful and also being able to actually name what you're feeling, because sometimes when we get so overwhelmed, we actually don't know what emotion is coming up. Mm -hmm. And if we have more knowledge about that, then we can become more equipped with knowing how to deal with it. So there's a big difference for how I might act if I'm angry versus sad, for example. So there's things that I'll sometimes give people. It's called the feeling wheel. And the primary emotions are in the inner ring. And then as you move outward, it gets more and more specific. So you can really pinpoint, okay, that's how I'm feeling. And what can I do about it? So do you ever have clients who also are self-destructive, where it's almost like a self-destructive thing, as if somebody who would take drugs that might kill them or somebody who cuts themselves or where they just eat. Absolutely. And that's back to that relationship. You know, some people, if they think about their relationship with food, they might say, I feel like I'm in a bit of an abusive relationship because it's something that I love one day and it's something that I hate the next. It's something that I feel nourishes me one moment and then the next moment it's punishing me somehow. And so it's that's why I'm so um, passionate about looking at the overlap between nutrition and mental health because it's not as simple. Mm -hmm. as, you're right? absolutely right. Yeah. So where can people go to connect with you? Yeah, so you can go to my website. It's www.fresh-insight.ca. And you can contact me by email. You can give me a call. Uh, I'm really, really passionate about this stuff and supporting people on their health journey. So you can reach out to me anytime. And you will be here. I will be we here. Will be yes, here. absolutely. So yeah. um, thank you yes. so much for joining us. My pleasure. Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. To contact the show, go to whatshesaidtalk.com. Escape instantly with Kobo. Discover nearly 6 million ebooks and audiobooks on Kobo.com. Download the free Kobo app and start reading today. It's a world of stories in the palm of your hand. Today's the day to try something new. Second City Training Center is home to North America's largest school of improv. Whether you're looking to build confidence through a public speaking class, test out some new material at the stand-up drop-in series, or just want to stop by and see what's up with improv, they'd love to have you. Visit them online today at secondcity.com TC or call 416-340-7270. Still being picked on for being picky? Perfect. Meridian's good-to-grow high-interest savings account was made for you. At Meridian, we say be picky. Order that half-calf, half-sweet, no-foam latte with whip. <sighs> Try on your whole closet until your outfit is outstanding. <laughs> and accept nothing less than 3% interest for four months when you open your first good-to-grow high-interest savings account. Meridian, expecting more for your money. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. This is 105.9 The Region. What she said. 
She's powerful, wonderful, honest and lovable. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. Giving post-secondary students the chance to learn in a hands-on work environment is a key part of the government's student work placement program, which just announced is providing almost $2.1 million over a three-year period to the Toronto Financial Services Alliance Work Integrated Learning Pilot Project called Aspire. And joining us to tell us more is Sasha D'Souza, the Senior Vice President of Talent Initiatives. Welcome to What She Said. Thank you so much, Kate. So first of all, take us through all, all these different groups. What is the Toronto Financial Service Alliance? Absolutely. So first of all, thank you for having me. Mm. The Toronto Financial Services Alliance is a public-private partnership between government, financial services employers, and post-secondary educators. Okay. We've got two primary objectives. The first is to lead collective action that grows the competitiveness of the financial services sector in the Toronto region. And the second complementary objective is to promote and build awareness of the Toronto region as a top global financial centre on the international stage. What do you mean by increased competitiveness? So when we think about uh, the financial centres around the world are competing for two things, really, uh, capital and mm-hmm. talent. And so our ability to attract and retain businesses and talent all depends on how we're viewed by businesses and talent as the place to be. And so by increasing, by by being able to say, we've got the best talent in our sector, this is the place to be. Toronto is where you want to be in financial services. That's going to help us to retain, uh, to attract and retain talent and capital. So how does the Aspire project fit into that? So the Aspire project is around the talent side. So I lead the talent initiatives department at TFSA. And our mandate is specifically to drive talent initiatives that grow the pool of work-ready, in-demand talent for the financial services sector. That's our talent mandate as a whole. Aspire is a work-integrated learning project that focuses on students, or what we call the early-stage talent pipeline. And so there are two objectives to Aspire. The first is to increase the quantity and quality of student work opportunities in the financial services sector. The second is to attract the kinds of the students learning the kinds of in-demand skills that our sector needs today to those opportunities. Because we've got a dilemma. The reputation that the financial services sector has built in Toronto, in, in Canada really, has been one that's held us in good stead globally because we are mm-hmm. conservative, we're risk averse. Um, and it's really taken us through all of those financial crises one after the other, um, making us look good and we, we come out ahead. The problem is that same reputation is not holding us in good stead when it comes to attracting students that are learning the kinds of skills that we want in the sector because they're not seeing financial services as a career destination. They're not, they're not seeing it as a place where they can be innovative and creative and do cool things and use their technology skills and their science skills uh, to do good work. And so this is as much a branding initiative or a rebranding initiative as it is um, attracting, as it is growing the amount of student work opportunities. Because if we have them and nobody comes, then there's no point. So what exactly then are you hoping to do with the funds? How are you going to make um, banking appealing? So what is great is we started Aspire at last year, mm-hmm. and we did it with our existing funds. This, the government, the federal government funding is going to allow us to scale up what we're doing. So we've got a big goal. It's to create 10,000 new student work opportunities in our sector by the end of 2020. 
the way that we want to do that, work-integrated learning, that whole field is blowing up and it, in mm-hmm. such a good way. Traditionally, everybody thinks it's co-ops, and co-ops are the gold standard of work-integrated learning, but there's so many other opportunities for students to get work experience. And when you think that co-op programs make up, on average, about 30 to 40% of all programs in the country, there's a good amount of students that aren't uh, availing themselves of student work opportunities because they don't know where to go and how to get them. And so we, with the funding, one of the really cool things we're going to do is create what we're calling an employer-led new or alternative work-integrated learning opportunity. So for those employers or those students who can't commit to four months of work, what are the ways that we can engage employers and students in a way that gives students valid, credible work opportunity, such that when they put it on their resume, employers see it as credible? Uh, and what is going to engage students so that they want to engage in it. So that's one of the things we're going to do with the funding. The other thing we're going to do, um, which we think is huge, is create a skills development program. So there's so much talk about students are learning technical skills in the classroom, and there's a gap between when they hit the workplace, they're not work ready. They can't hit the ground running. And more and more employers are now saying we need these students, or they're expecting more of these students. So how do we help bridge the gap? and develop uh, the kinds of skills that are going to help them be productive right away. And so we're um, we're going to build a, a business skills development program as well. So can you give us an example of some of the in-demand skills in the field of STEAM? And I love that you've added arts to that. So it's yeah. science, technology, engineering, arts, and, and math. Um, give us some examples of something that you're not, that, that they're missing, the, the gap. So if I can start with, we just did a research report. And it's on the future future proofing future proof skills that are that's going to move financial services forward. Mm-hmm. And what we did, we came up with four buckets of skills that we're going to need more of over the next three to five years. The categories are human experience skills. So that's things like communication, collaboration, teamwork, empathy, student, student, empathy, absolutely emotional intelligence. The second bucket is uh, what we call reimagination skills. So creativity. Um, curiosity, but also the business acumen to take creative ideas and figure out if there's a commercial application for them. The third bucket is what we call uh, pivoting skills. So there's so much change, and we've always heard that change is the new normal, Mm -hmm. but change really is the new normal going forward. So change leadership skills, Um, the resilient skills, the ability to pivot from one work now is agile projects. Um, employees no longer work work one job the whole year. They might be on Mm -hmm. several projects in a year. And the fourth one is uh, what we call future currency skills. Today, they're digital and and data acumen. Tomorrow, it's going to be something else. But a base knowledge of technology, how to use it, how to um, understand it is going to be table stakes for all employees going forward. And so those are the kinds of skills we've identified that are going to be in need in the sector. STEM skills, STEM Students are getting technical skills. They're not getting so much on the communication skills mm-hmm. and the other kinds of skills that are going to be needed. But if you're, if you were now had a message for a young person who's listening who has STEAM skills, yeah. but thinks, eh, this is too boring for me. I, I won't be able to be creative and entrepreneurial and whatever. What is your message to them? Is there something really... Um, fun and different in financial services? There absolutely is. So when you think in financial services, our our roles range from being a data scientist to a behavioral scientist. 
So we need data scientists, we need tech kids, but we also need behavioral scientists because when we think human experience skills, customers now, there's not much differentiation between products and services. The way you're going to retain customers is through the experience that they have with you. So that's about understanding the customer. That's about human behavior. So for the arts part, the art student in STEAM, there's a place for them because more and more we're going to need behavioral, uh, behavioral thinkers. At the same time, for technology students and project or engineers, we have more project man- agile project management. We need scrum masters. We need engineers and data scientists. So all of this is happening in financial services. It's not just tellers and traders anymore. So who is your ideal uh, candidate to take advantage of the Aspire project? For students, uh, they really are STEAM students. So any students learning science, technology, engineering, arts, and math who want to explore, who want to be in a sector that enjoys, it's it's a good sector to be in because it has fintechs where if you want to be in a strictly entrepreneurial environment, you can do that. Mm-hmm. Or you can be in hubs, innovative hubs in large established financial organizations with that stability that's coming in. So it's really anybody that wants to be in a sector doing innovative, meaningful work. And what about the businesses? How are you incorporating them? They The, the value proposition for businesses mm-hmm. is you need the pipeline of future skills. And we know you're not getting them today en masse. Mm-hmm. By being part of a project like Aspire, we are going to do that marketing for you on a sector-wide level. So we're going to build the – so when you go into those campuses, you just have to sell your organization. You don't have to sell the sector. So how do people get in touch with you? Uh, through my contact information, we have an Aspire website. It's aspirefs.ca mm-hmm. that they can start with, and our contact information is there. Aspire FS Financial yes. Services, I'm yes. guessing. Mm-hmm. That's dot right. C-A. That's right. Dot C-A. All right. Well, thank you very much, Sasha D'Souza, for telling us all about this. It's very exciting. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. To contact the show, go to whatshesaidtalk.com. Escape instantly with Kobo. Discover nearly 6 million ebooks and audiobooks on Kobo.com. Download the free Kobo app and start reading today. It's a world of stories in the palm of your hand. Still being picked on for being picky? Perfect. Meridian's good to grow high interest savings account was made for you. At Meridian, we say be picky. Order that half calf, half sweet, no foam latte with whip. Try on your whole closet until your outfit is outstanding. And accept nothing less than 3% interest for four months when you open your first good-to-grow high-interest savings account. Meridian, expecting more for your money. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. This is 105.9 The Region. What she She's powerful, wonderful, honest and lovable. Now back to what she said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. And what of my mother I haven't the words. I've only the saucer and cup that was hers. My brother, my brother who won't say my name. What you're listening to is Starlight by Winnipeg singer-songwriter Rain Hamilton. Welcome to What She Said. Hello. For people who may not know, tell us how you got started. 
I am from a musical family, so I was born into this. My parents were in a band. They met in a rock and roll band in Winnipeg in the 70s called Nighthawk. And then my future was pretty well laid out before me, I think, at that point. Well, you've just released your second full-length album, Night Sky. So tell us what it's about. The album Night Sky is singer-songwriter genre songs Mm -hmm. with string quartet arrangements uh, covered by myself on violin, cello, and then double bass. So it's technically a string trio. We call it chamber folk, mixing this folk genre with uh, the chamber music genre. Okay, and you also, and I think this is very cool, you wanted to make your album release show more inclusive with American Sign Mm -hmm. Language um, interpretation. So why was that important for you? I believe really strongly that music is for everyone, art is for everyone, and in my life that has been so powerful, the presence Mm -hmm. of art and music. And there are people who want that in their life and for whom there are barriers to access. So when I have the opportunity, when I'm planning a show, um, I really work to remove the barriers that I can. That's awesome. Now, you also offer workshops um, in songwriting and fiddle tune writing. Mm -hmm. What is fiddle tune writing? Oh, it is a great time. We take the question-answer form of traditional fiddle tunes and study that. And then uh, there's a really cool process that we go through to create our own tunes. And I'm so proud of the tunes that some kids across Manitoba have written. It is such a good time. Well, you do it in English and in French. I happen to, yes. Yeah. (laughs) That's amazing. So where can people get your music? Every surface of the internet. (laughs) So a good bet would be to check out my website, Rain Hamilton. That's rain with an E at the end, Mm rainhamilton.com. iTunes, CD Baby, Spotify, all the places. And what's coming up next for you? I am on my album release tour right now. Mm -hmm. So I'm just en route to Peterborough at the moment. Uh, And then actually I'll head back to Winnipeg after this tour and then I'll head up to northern Manitoba to Norway House and there's a big fiddle jamboree where all fiddle playing kids of the north gather. Oh, that sounds like a blast. 500 kids camping out in a school. Yeah, it's... 500 fiddle playing kids. (laughs) It's amazing. (laughs) That's going to help. And then what? And then what? I'm going to lie down for a couple days. (laughs) Yeah. It seems like you've done an awful lot. Thank you. It's been a dense time. But gearing up then towards the summer and the festival season. That's awesome. Uh, Well, we are looking forward to hearing you play in just a moment. But that is it for What She Said. We will be back next Saturday and Sunday at noon right here on 105.9 The Region. You can find us on social media at What She Said Talk. And your social media handle? Uh, Twitter is at Rain Songs, and Instagram and Facebook is Rain Hamilton. Hamilton. Okay, but singing us out now in our live studio sessions, here is Rain Hamilton performing Starlight. Uh, this song is, for me, a story of moving forward, like of leaving the past behind. And it's like some big change has come, and there's no going back. Regret only that 
listeners, I'm Christy, and I'm Melissa, and this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster and not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100% because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.